it's never not going to be anything. I think that's one of the things that I'm trying to teach my daughter right now about life. It's just like, no, no, no. It's about how you deal with the adversity. The adversity is like on the way. It's, it's always going to be there. There's always going yeah. to be something. Yeah. The variable in the equation is the X that's there when you're doing like your calculus and your derivatives and you yeah, got to rework your formulas and plug them back into different, you know, formulas. It's that for real. But life is like that in that, in that sense. And it's like, well, it's going to be about how you respond to it and deal with it. So it's like I'm trying to teach you not to be too high, too low. I'm going to have to keep some of that conversation for the beginning of this because it actually segues very nicely with what we're talking about today, which is Nas's The World Is Yours and um, Simon and Garfunkel's song, The Boxer, um, which are both kind of coming of age-ish songs, sort of, kind of. Um, where are you going to start? I want some further explanation from you to maybe like where the theme, well, I can get the theme of the song. Mm-hmm. I was trying to I was looking for a better compass of the story because the uh, because because it is so lyrically dense. Yeah, you're talking I about the boxer. Yeah, I'm talking about the boxer. Right, sure. And I mean, both of the songs' messages are lyrically dense. But yes, for sure. <laughs> the one that I'm less familiar with, right. I think I need just more of a mo- a roadmap of what he true of what they are truly trying to convey message wise. You know, like I understand the ethos, but it's like, I don't totally understand the purpose. And I thought that was kind of cool because I enjoyed the record, but mm-hmm. I thought this was a record. I was like, well, Andrew can really maybe teach me a lot today. I hope so. Um, I don't know. Right, maybe not, but uh, th- I, I am really excited about talking about Nas because I know for sure you can teach me a lot about that. Um, 100%. So um, a little, little bit of backstory. One of the reasons I chose these two songs to go together is because both um, Paul Simon, Art Garfunkel, the two people in this group, um, grew up in Queens too, which you know Nas did too, um, pretty famously. So they are um, they met as elementary school students actually. Um, about I, I looked it up on a map that where they grew up is like their elementary school or whatever because it said it on Wikipedia. Their elementary school is like maybe ten miles from the Queensbridge um, complex, so it's it's not far at all um okay so it's it's over near like koreatown chinatown kind of that near like farmers yeah that that kind of area yeah farmers Um, jamaica area mm -hmm. yeah yeah um so the song is i don't know if i know you are but i don't know if the listeners are familiar with catcher in the rye um the the story is is that kind of story like it's a um a kid who's left home and is trying to make his way sort of in the world and dealing with all the stuff that happens to him. So one of, one of the interesting comparisons that we're going to have to talk about is um, how this, this song was like 1969, eight, like late 60s. Um, the differences between how white i think jewish actually both of them are jewish um kids navigated new york city queens um in the when they were growing up in like the 50s as opposed to um nas who you know was writing these songs when he was what 17 18 right um in like the early 90s geographically the two of them like the the three of them really had the same sort of experience like as as far as like weather and crap like that right like and living in new york but the experiences as far as i can tell were very 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 different 
like the way they were they grew up. Yes, comparable visual aids. Um, I think one of the most striking things that you'll find even in other artists mm -hmm. who come out of Queens is, is that the artists that come out of Queensbridge are different. And a lot of that is because, well, quite frankly, Queens, and it's funny, Andrew, I was just at, um, I was at the Braves game this past Sunday. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my dear friends, her boyfriend is from Southside Jamaica, Queens. Okay. He actually, we were, me and him were actually talking about some of the guys that Nas is actually referencing on the world is yours. And he was explaining to me how like, well, when you're in Queens, like the 40 side of Queens, mm -hmm. that's houses. Yeah. Sub right. So the side that Simon and Garfunkel are growing up on. Right. Or a suburban residential area. Don't get it twisted. It's still New York and it's still a borough in New York. And so Queens can, you know, just like all the other boroughs, it's got its pockets. Right. Where it's and like most boroughs in New York, well, it's compressed and compact. So the Jews are there. The Italians are there. Blacks are there. What, you know? Yeah. And but he said something to me that I thought was striking. And this is why we're at the Braves game. He said, but it's different when you're in Queensbridge. Queensbridge is a housing complex. It's a project. Those aren't houses. Those are projects. It's actually the largest project tenement in the entire nation. And so literally just going those five to 10 miles that you're talking about. Yeah. It still seemed like another world to the kids that are inside yeah. of the bridge. And he was even explaining to me, there's another hip hop group, uh, Capone and Noriega. Mm -hmm. um, Noriega's from Left Rack. He's like, yeah, Left Rack. Queensbridge he's like that's Queens he's like but that's different you know in terms of how they're insulated and isolated within those blocks and those projects so just just giving like some perspective from somebody yeah. who from Queens that just happened to share this with me like this was my first time meeting it you know what that's, I mean? that's, that's cool like I definitely get the perspective from listening to these two songs that that they're completely different worlds like yeah, it's, it's, it's like, just it's like, I, I saw it was important to say like the, the, kind of what you were saying like they they lived very geographically close to each other but their lived experiences were just about as different as you can get given where they both lived yes but you know what scenery wise i think they're seeing some of the same painful yeah. things because mm -hmm. there's a dreariness mm -hmm. to the simon and garfunkel music i'm coming yeah. to find that is very comparable to Nas's like early like life's a bitch and then you die type right. of ethos. You'll yeah. find his early material and he's coming out of Queensbridge, you know, mm -hmm. like the you see now that's like, you know, life is good and the tech master and like all the, like that's not the guy that's coming out of Queensbridge. Like that's okay. The guy that's out of Queensbridge is talking about going to hell for snuffing Jesus. You know, yep. like somebody that's using that type of verbiage and looking at things from that perspective is, you know, quite frankly, being traumatized by some of the things that they're seeing. And they're holding guns and all the baby pictures. Yeah, sure. Right. Right. Holding guns at all my baby pictures. Yep. And so there there doesn't appear to be that same uh, pain or dark cloud hanging over Simon and Garfunkel. But there appear to be remnants of it that almost make you feel like, oh, there's something about queens. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and that's why I wanted to put those two together because they both, yeah. I think, evoke 
different versions of that place. Yes, and they're both very dense as writers mm-hmm. and lyrically. Yeah. And usually who you are as a writer comes from your early experiences about what you see and where you're from. So the fact that they're both dense as writers says a lot about yeah. cool. Right. Yeah, man, I, th- I think it's super cool. Um, so this 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 song, The Boxer, felt like a coming of age song to me. It is. Okay. Okay. So here's what I question. See, Uh our coming of age songs in hip hop kind, and this is what I mean about maybe you can educate me. Well, our coming of age songs kind of play like the notorious B.I.G.'s Juicy does. It's kind Uh of usually rags to riches when we do coming of age story. And so what, you know, like what is his background looking like? Because it just seems like, is he coming from a broken home? That, that's fighting? my impression and he never says in the song right it and feels broken. i don't want to like not and i would imagine this is more of a character than it is um the real life of either of them but it certainly seems like a kid who is running away from something like yes. uh, he says i left my home and my family i was no more than a boy in the company of strangers mm-hmm. and the quiet of, like he he leaves his home as a kid um as um you know, probably 14, 15, 16 years old um, and is like wandering the streets, basically. Um, And so my guess context wise, um, given the clues that he gives us, is that um, he was in like a working class kind of home, like his dad worked down at the docks or whatever, like in the story, in the story of the song and was um not a super pleasant human being i would imagine and he's like running away from that so he's it's it's not exactly riches to rags but it is um it is because because certainly the person in this story the boxer isn't coming from a wealthy circumstance you don't get that i don't get that impression at all but is certainly coming from a more comfortable circumstance than it would be just wandering the streets right correct okay so it kind of came off to me like i'm like okay and this is what i mean he's coming from a dysfunctional slash abusive home Mm -hmm. and so you know queens is like a hard gruff working man's town and so he's maybe not in poverty because if you're in poverty you're probably in queensbridge or left rack you feel me yep but probably not well they're not living in manhattan they're not living in you know and or well, certain parts of Long Island. And so with that being said, I kind of hear somebody that comes from very workmanlike circumstances, yeah. but there appears to be something in this song like that touches you your emotional nerve. It's like, well, is this guy's home okay? You know, it's home okay. Home doesn't feel okay in this song. And so you it kind of gives you the space as a listener, think it's like, well, is is dad an alcoholic and abusive to mom? Uh, that, that's what that's what i've always felt like listening right to. that's what it feels like doesn't it feel yeah. that way mm-hmm. yeah like i just got to get out of here like it's that kind of i mean some of that is the springsteen pulse like the i've got to like breaking free of blah 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 but it doesn't have the same i mean to me listening to these two songs the world is yours is much more hopeful than the boxer is i mean i wouldn't call it a hopeful song necessarily but i would say that it seems like somebody who had more is is like talking kind of in a darker kind of way like 
the world is screwed and I am like, there's not a whole lot I can do about it. And, and Nas is saying, you know, the world is yours and that it belongs to you too. Like, it's not, um, I don't know, maybe I'm misreading that, but no, no, he's, I mean, the, the world is yours. It comes from a few different places and we can unpack it, but it's like, well, the beautiful thing about the world is yours is that he's actually taking the, a bleak day in the life of a kid out right. of the biggest projects in America. And he's making it sound beautiful. That's what I mean. with the yeah. message. That's oh, what I was trying to say. You said it way better than me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's literally a bleak day in the projects for him, but it's like, and that's the beautiful thing about Illmatic is, is that, through all these painful, intense circumstances and struggle, he keeps finding the beauty in it mm -hmm. and expressing it to you in beautiful fashion, very poetically. And so it's this poetry very is extraordinary. We'll talk right, about poetry that is extraordinary on the album. And so it's very enchanting mm -hmm. because of that. Because you're like, man, like it's actually, if you listen to it, not much positive rhetoric going on in the song. And so it leaves you wondering outside of the hook, the rhetoric's not positive, and it leaves you wondering, why does it sound so beautiful? yeah why does it sound so perfect you like if, if you're not paying close attention to the wor words it feels like an uplifting song like right like just it's, like the mood of it like the, the, just, the vibe you're just of following it. the melody to the hook and the vibe and just wrapping the words wrong you're like yeah like that's my joint you know and then you like listen to it oh, yeah that's that's darker than that but yeah but yeah that's that's what i was trying to say like it it is taking something it's, it's they're almost like mirror images of each other they one is taking something incredibly bleak and making it beautiful and some someone else is taking something that could be beautiful like a walk around new york city um and making it showing the dark side of it right there you know visually it's like when i saw the boxers like remember boulevard of broken dreams yeah yeah that very much same kind it's of that ante it's the antecedent of that kind of song yeah absolutely yeah. i never yeah. would have thought about that but yeah absolutely it's the same same, same. idea yeah that's that, that's what i heard you know i'm a green day fan so yeah you know what i mean when i, I heard think boulevard of broken dreams is probably talking about la i think but i mean they're, they're oakland they're like west coast berkeley guys yeah, they're west coast. yeah yeah but you know as a fan of theirs when i heard this song i'm always looking for somebody that i can kind of like compare to and be like okay is the ethos similar to that and that was the song that i probably am most familiar with mm -hmm. uh, for popular music culture that i yeah. can kind of pull for modern day times and be like okay similar ethos just updated simon and garfunkel are more gritty but they're from queens you know green yeah. day is from la like you said or yeah. kind of valley-ish mid yeah. you know central yeah. yeah so yeah the well, to... well, can I ask you something? Are you yeah, a for fan? Sure. Are some... So I guess for me, with some of the artists that we choose, mm -hmm. you know, everybody that we've chosen on my side, I'm big fans of. Yeah. How, I mean, I need to start asking, how big a fan are you or some of the people that we're covering? I mean, obviously the Beatles and the Stones and stuff like that is kind of like, well, that's easy because it's hard not to like that stuff. That's yeah. easy. But Simon and Garf, uh, they, they feel more cultish to me. Um. I love Simon and Garfunkel. Simon and Garfunkel, this is actually a personal story. Like the, they, they were one of my dad's favorites. So okay. I, I, I learned about them through him. There are bands, I mean, the bands that we grew up with, REM, Radiohead, and Green Day, like the ones that were huge, Pearl Jam, those kind of bands that were huge, like early, mid, late 90s. Like those um, are the ones that I, like, I grew up listening to. Um, but like 
so I've had to do some research to like fill in like the historical gaps around these things. I listened to um, Paul Simon a lot. Um, it was his, his album Graceland is one of the getting me through um, the lockdown COVID, whatever. Like it's, it's one of the, it's, it's a very uplifting kind of um, kind of thing. And, and that was one of the, those moments were ones where, I mean, most of the stuff that I, I, I'm working on another project too. I've told you about this, uh, about going kind of poetry of some of these more nineties bands um, and playing some of them and talking about them. And I have right. gone into the lyrics a little more in depth because of that reason. And most of that stuff's really super fucking dark, dude. Like it's really, really, really dark. So it's most music is. Yeah. So, so I, I was looking for things to listen to that weren't that. Um, so right. we, no, we can get into Paul Simon's Graceland um, um, later. It's, it's interesting because Graceland's interesting because, you know, Graceland's Elvis's home too. So it, 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 but he's talking about it, not in Elvis's sense. He's just talking about it as a place like to go visit with his kid. Like it's not right. um, as, a, as an iconic place or whatever. Um, he's treating it like a theme park. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, but that whole that whole record's great. But Simon and Garfunkel, um, th th it's just a fascinating interpersonal thing for me. Like the two of them, most people they, they broke up as a band like 1970, 71, 70, like that kind of early seventies, um, right after Bridge Over Troubled Water. Um, lots of bands broke up about that time, but you know, time passes. They you know get then maybe like Fleetwood Mac's a good example of this. Like they still play concerts together. I mean, they were, we'll talk more about them in a different episode because there's so much to get into with them, but the like Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks were a couple and um, the McVees were a couple and like, right. so, so later, like they hate each other for a while and then they you get back together and not romantically back together, but like playing together. And, and when you're, you know, when you're sixties and seventies or whatever, you, you start, you know, dealing with each other fine. Like as long as you, it, it becomes one of those kind of, kind of friends that, you know, you make good music with. And like, as long as I don't have to live with them or deal with them on that, on a daily basis or ride a tour bus with them, then, you know, we're fine. Right. New edition, new edition came to mind when you said that. Yeah. Yeah. But, but Simon and Garfunkel don't like each other still now, like 50 okay, years so later. So let's so let's unpack some right quick because yeah. I'm actually more familiar with Paul Simon than I am Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. So, what happened to Garfunkel and how did this breakup occur? Over what? It's usually um, over money. This one, this one, as far as I know, wasn't a woman. This was um, um, Paul Simon was. This this is what I've read. Okay, now I don't know that this is true, but um, it, it was more that. Um, Art liked the the drugs and the and the um and and drinking and stuff like that. And Paul Simon was like music, 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 that and and he was just like, I'm not dealing with. I mean, I'm sure Art was Garfunkel was like not showing up for stuff and that kind of thing. Like it's um and and he, I mean, you can watch interviews with Paul Simon. He 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 can come off as. I wouldn't call him a prick, but I, he, he can't, he is a little bit prickly. Like he's not like, comes off standoffish. He, he, he's not this jovial, 
die. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like there's, there's a little prickly around the edges. So, yeah. and, yeah. but there's also the, like, Isn't there some the little ethos that I get from him is like, you cross me never again. Like, right. Like it's a little, if you, if you fuck me over once, then you're gone forever. That Napoleon complex. Yeah. A little Napoleon complex going on. Right? Yeah. 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 And so, so, so the, the interaction between the two of them, like, it's, it's it's fascinating because Paul Simon's an incredible songwriter, like is one of the greatest to ever live. Um, and Garfunkel's got the voice. Paul Simon's got a decent voice, but but our, our Garfunkel is what his voice is like, like, like the voice of the angels. Like it's it's incredible. Um, so <clears throat> the 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 there's an iconic story where when they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, that was the first time they had played together in you know, 25 or 30 years or whatever. Wow. Hold on. So how many albums did they do together? Um, four or five. Yeah, new edition. Yeah. Yeah, just like new edition. Um, and the first ones. I mean, like the first ones didn't hit and then they re-released some of the other. It was that kind of thing. Um, the first one was called Wednesday Morning 3 a.m., which didn't really do anything at all. And then um, The Sounds of si- Sound of Silence is one. Garfunkel Re- had a solo career too. Sort of-ish, yes. He released like one or two albums though, right? He did, yes. They, they were not yeah. like a thing. I wor- well, I but- worked in a record store and I can remember his stuff being on the shelf and at Manifest, Manifest on South Boulevard. Yeah. It is. Yeah, a, well, he, it did exist. Like he, he did yeah. do it. And he was he was an actor in a couple things like in the 80s. And but, 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 but Paul Simon was clearly the star because he had the songwriting ability is pretty much yeah. what you're saying. The songwriting ability superseded the voice. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's an interesting question to think about whether Paul Simon would have been able to break through as a songwriter without having done that first right i mean i mean he had he had a long and distinguished solo career afterwards um so he's clearly capable of doing it but i don't know it's hard it's it's an interesting question whether it would have happened if he hadn't done the other first and people had because people obviously already knew who he was at that point right i kind of um some of what you're kind of like explaining personally about simon and garfunkel is how i feel about the artist sade it's okay. like, well, I grew up on her. Mm-hmm. She was like my mother's favorite. So I was never really even clear on how big she was mm-hmm. until I became an adult and kind of like had to backtrack and see because she was big in my house. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. how big was she? It's like, oh, no, no, no. She's a big deal everywhere. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, in true to form, it's like my daughter's middle name is Sade. So. Yeah. And, it's, and she's Sade's so smooth, man. Like, I mean, it's she's just, operating. yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and our Garfunkel is kind of that way. Like that voice is is just, um, and, and the boxer is more of a, a Paul Simon song. Like it's mostly him singing. No, 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 um, no, no. Yeah. So um, usually the ones where you have the stories being told are are him, are, are and are mostly him singing. Um, so yes, I love their music, um, but I didn't know a ton about their personal history, like the. The, the iconic rock and roll hall of fame story, like when they were inducted, um, Garfunkel goes first and says, you know, thank you, blah, 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 blah. And thanks to Paul Simon for writing these incredible songs that um, you allowed me to play some small part in lending my voice to, or something like that. Um, and, and Paul Simon says, some, said something else. And I, I should have written it down. I don't want to misquote him, but something to the effect of, um, 
you're damn right. I dragged you along or something. I mean, he didn't say exactly those words in that tone, but basically that like, yeah. yeah. And I mean, obviously you're setting that up to say like, Oh, you helped me a lot too. Your voice is so beautiful. I mean, that kind of thing. And he's like, no, like, and if I would have had your voice, I would have never needed you. Yeah, exactly. And, and he's not wrong. Like, but um, I mean, there are so many people, I mean, That's that's another conversation for another day about how people, you know, deal with fame and music yeah. and contributions to the music and so on and so forth. So you're saying that it's like, remember I was saying it's like it's usually over a girl or over money. Mm-hmm. Well, this was about money still at the end of the day, because truthfully, when Paul Simon became big enough and became famous enough that he didn't need him. Yeah, he's like. Right. And like I said, so that's still the money involved that yeah. like money something to do with that you know what i mean oh, yeah. it might have something to do with the drug and the alcohol intake because hey guess what yep. that guy couldn't get loaded like that when y'all were probably two you know lower middle class right. kids coming out of queens you know yeah can't buy no exactly. eight ball with you can't buy no eight ball with <laughs> yeah, dads exactly wharf money you know what i mean he's working yep. at the doctor and find no eight balls with that money but there's buying eight balls with rock star money and doing oh, rock yeah. star things, you know so this is one of those stories to me just from the outside looking in it's like money coming and corrupting the situation again. And that's why I brought up the Q-tip line about just being comfortable and not yeah. being rich. And sometimes being rich is a is, is more dangerous. Like sometimes it's better that you have enough for what you need and just enough to save to have the life that you know I mean God wants for you than to have like all this excess because this excess, you know, yeah. leads to breakups. <laughs> exactly. I, sh- I, I want to have, you just want to have enough that you don't have to really particularly think about it. Like it's not... I mean, you still think about it because you got plan for your kids and stuff like that. But like, it's not, you're not worrying about where the next, whether I'm going to be able to pay this thing or this thing. It's just, you're just, I don't have to right. think about it in that way. Do you want to get into the lyrics of the boxer? Or do you want to like talk some about Nas? Um, I'm, I'm either way. I mean, you know, we talk, I think we've done a synopsis of the boxers. If you want to get into some of the specifics of the lyrics. Like that's why I kind of wanted you to guide like the specifics of the lyrics, because mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to connect the dots more than speaking to the lyrics. Cause, cause, cause I think we've kind of discussed this already. Well, you can tell the songwriting talents there. Yeah. Because like songwriting wise, it feels like he almost wrote two separate songs and put them together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's that songwriting talent stuff where it's like, well, it sounds like he took some of this, some of this piece, this piece, that wove it together, use some connective tissue, you know, some yeah. connecting words, conjunctive words, mm-hmm. classic, you know, so there's some of that going on. It's lyrically dense. This is the most, I think, lyrically dense song, in my opinion, in terms of songwriting that we've had. Yeah. Except maybe Joni Mitchell, yeah. I was thinking the Joni Mitchell, but there's something about this that does feel more real than that. Yeah. This, this has a grittier edge, for sure. Yes, there it is. That's, a different... that's what I yeah. it's grittier it's grittier than the john mitchell right and it feels in a way like wu-tang and meth like those kinds of yes. it has that edge to it which is really funny because simon garfunkel had the reputation in the 60s and 70s of being like these i don't want to use the word candy ass but like they, they were like the easy easy listening folk band like the, they're like the intro into folk band because some of that shit that, that was coming out like greenwich village and stuff like that was like right really hardcore hit. communist kind of like kind of stuff so um they were um where, where you know 
people like overlook people's some people's artistry because they have beautiful voices um like the, you miss out on the the actual depth of the lyrics it's that kind it was that kind of thing with them um, right. like they're a little too lily white for my taste so like next yeah yeah i mean i can be that, I, I can be that way in hip-hop respects to some artists you know because because mm-hmm. i'm a wu-tang fan i'm a biggie fan i'm a tupac fan like right. those guys have edge yeah. you know like there's edge that comes with it so like when some of these guys are cleaned up like a little bit too much you're like who the fuck is this guy I'm like yeah. get guy out my <laughs> face. and i'm like what is this like is this rap or it's like like who is this guy you know sometimes mm-hmm. So I've been that guy. Like, I'll give you an example of somebody who I kind of, I wouldn't like that bad about it. But when Nelly came out, remember when yeah. Nelly came out, the country grammar? I was like, what? In the, <laughs> I was like, what in the fuck is that? I'm like, what is that? I'm like, what is he doing? I was like, did he just take a nursery rhyme? Yeah, that's like a, that's a double Dutch song. Like, the, the... right. It's like, am <laughs> down, baby. I'm like, did he take it? It's like, and you know, it was one of those things is that I'm young. Mm-hmm. I'm still in high school. Matter of fact, I met him at Manifest. He came to Manifest when country. Oh, cool. Yeah, I met Nelly when he when he first came out. He was late as hell. Um, <laughs> he was. He know he showed up late. He fell asleep in the hotel room. Showed up super late for the uh, for, for for us. But it was one of those things. It was so. It was so ready for radio. It was so. Oh yeah. It was like it was too much for me. I'm like, hold on. I'm like, I'm like Wu Tang is for the kids. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> you yeah. know. And so I can see them having that same effect too. Like, and we do that and we miss out on great stuff about it because here's, because here's what I tell you, because of that, I missed out on my favorite Nelly song until like I went back later because my favorite Nelly song is actually EI was actually the second single off of country mm-hmm. grammar. Yeah. But because I had kind of pushed him off to the side, yeah. I probably didn't become a fan of EI until like a year or two later when, when I'm in Greensboro at UNCG. Yeah, that's when I started listening to EI. Actually, it's like yeah, I've been played out by then, but I kind of like pushed him into push baby in a corner. Like, like I was like, I yep. don't know what this dude is with the band aid and the baseball jersey mm-hmm. and the cotton candy ass beat with the with the nursery yep. rhyme. Like, no, I'm out. You know, when you yep. go back and listen to the song, he's talking about using a street sweeper in the song too. So it's mm-hmm. like he was actually connecting the dots better than I was giving him credit for, but the appeal and the look of it to me, I was a Wu-Tang guy and a bit was like, no, 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 no. It's like, where's the thug life tattoo? Like, yeah. where is that? No, 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 no thug life tattoo, a Band-Aid? No, 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 that's not going to work for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and this, this song works the same way, the boxer does. I mean, in the in the sense that, like, the chorus is just lie, 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 lie. I mean, that's, that's the whole thing, right? Like, it's just not, mm-hmm. it's just... Um, it's not quite the you know seven dwarfs whistle while you work, but it's it's that kind of like I'm just kind of singing to myself in a, in a non non lyrical way. Like so so people, I, that's one of those things where it, I think people were hooked with the la 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 la. Okay, la, so and and didn't like pay attention terribly much to the pretty well, dark I, story in the song. Well, that's what I mean. So you know, I was actually thinking that like the hook is kind of part of what made me realize that it was kind of a traumatic story because it's almost like I took it like he was walking and like tuning out the pain by mm-hmm. using the repeat, you know, that, that's how I come from a place of trauma. And so like, I was hearing things, this song it's like, Oh, he's writing about his trauma. Oh, he's dealing with his trauma. La, 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 la. I, I take that. I know that's the hook and that's the simple, stupid buy-in, but mm-hmm. it's something about that that kind of alludes to the trauma. It's like, 
we'll forget about all that that just happened. La, 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 yeah. la. You know what I mean? That's and, and that's, but that second verse, he does it too. He, he actually, that's the only place where he does the la la's in the verse. But the, the end of that verse is all lies and just still a man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. And then la, 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 like he does la, la, la at the very end of that verse too. And that's the oh. disregarding the rest part, right? Right. I mean, that's brilliant songwriting, but that also speaks to what? Trauma. Right. That's what you do when you're going through trauma. So it's exactly. like the trauma is all over the song. And that's what made it feel, I guess, more grittier and personal. <laughs> and so, so he's like, talking about masculinity and like what it means to be a man. And oh, yeah. like he's, ta- he's pulling from like his experiences, right? This is what I mean. So this is what I mean about his traumatizing. It's almost like well, his dad is abusive and telling him that he's not man enough. So he's out on this journey to prove to his father, I am a man, damn it. Yeah. You know, I mean, there, there's a whole, the whole verse about, um, <clears throat> like nobody talked to him except the whores on seventh Avenue. Like, like, that, and, and he says, and like, sometimes I was so lonely. I took some comfort there. Like that's being a man sort of, or, or not really, but like, you know what I mean? Like it's, he's, so he's, so he's doing that, a thing that thinks he's, that makes him feel like he's, being a man right so is he saying that as a young man i'm buying prostitutes is he saying that's what the, that's what the lyric is yeah yeah the lyric is pretty much saying is it's like well what he's speaking to now also too and this is what i mean about was well, kind of traumatizing well he must have been socially awkward what kind mm-hmm. of 14 15 6 year old boys buying hookers yeah you know what i mean somebody yeah. who's socially awkward they kind of maybe be feeling a certain type of way about his and, and doesn't know how to talk to people, not even just talk to girls, but talk to people, period. Because right. I mean, he, sa- he says he did it like in the lyric says, um, uh, sometimes I was so lonesome. I took some comfort there. Like it's like I couldn't get anybody to interact with me. So I had to pay somebody to do it, basically. Right. And, and songwriters, the brilliant ones, the most brilliant ones, oftentimes super introverts. Mm-hmm. Super introverts at times can go on spells where they really don't talk or deal with anybody if it's not musically related. Yep. Yeah. And Paul Simon always has come off that way. Like, I mean, he's he's gregarious enough and he has conversations with people or whatever, but um, but he but yeah, he comes he, he definitely comes across as somebody who would have had to learn how to talk to people, mm-hmm. I guess. Um and and then the last verse of the song is about the boxer, like the actual boxer. Um, the, in the clearing stands a boxer and a fighter by his trade. And he carries a reminder of every glove that laid him down or cut him till he cried out in his anger and his shame. I am leaving. I am leaving though. The fighter still remains that like, that's a metaphor, right? mm -hmm, Yeah. Um, he's, I mean, you could, so if, if, if we're going down the road that we're just talking about, that's the parental figure, right? Like he is, he's like, either looking at the parental figure or looking at himself in the future um, and seeing <clears throat> like how the scars um, from all the fights that this person has been in has, have affected him, have changed who he I is. Think, so I think he's projecting yeah. that what all the scar tissue and trauma has done to him into the man that he's going to be, mm-hmm. which is, is like, so almost it's like, you see, you called me soft and I ended up being a boxer, a fighter. Yeah. That's why it's called the boxer, right? Like, right. look at me, dad. I'm really a fighter. I'm really strong. I'm tough just like you. I'm strong just like you. Look at me, dad. It's like borderline a cry for help in my opinion. Yeah. And, but he's also, and at the same time, it's still like. A healthy cry for help. Like in a yeah, therapy. Exactly. Place. Exactly. And, it, and, it's, and it's almost a, a song of, or a verse of forgiveness too, because like. 
it's it's a like i see what this shit has done to me so i sort of understand why you were the way you were mm -hmm. right is that kind of kind of thing so even so even when you were saying that um you know this is like so there's two ways that i look at this as a songwriter it's like man if this story isn't real he's as good as a songwriter as they come because he is able to tap into the emotions of a real life situation. Mm -hmm. But that's another thing about great songwriters is that they make it feel so real to you. And this feels so real. Like he lived yeah. it, you yeah. know, I, I would argue that this would be like those movies that are based on a true story. Like it's, he's like pulling right. maybe something from his life yes. or pulling things from other people's well, lives and kind of combining well, them to make the story we'll more compelling. <laughs> See, this is what I mean. When you're a great writer, let's say dad was an alcoholic and dad got abusive one time. You can take, when you're a great songwriter, you can take that one time that dad was abusive. Like dad might've been an alcoholic the whole time, but that one time dad got abusive, a great songwriter can take that and make it seem like, oh no, 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 he's been yeah. You get what I'm saying? That's yeah. like that is part of the uh, creative. Or they life. can even like take stories like they heard from their friends telling stories about that and like right. incorporate those details and whatever too. I, I, I've done I've done that in song. On, I have to. My yeah. first album, I took a story that a friend told me about from Hawaii, and I turned it into like a literally a whole story. Like he told me like a brief version of something mm -hmm. that happened in Hawaii, and I wrote a whole song about it. I made it into a whole other story just because I thought that what he told me was super cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I have many songs like that too that I've written that are they're take that I've taken like yeah extrapolated like details out from a, a short story from somebody yeah. else. I, I, I've written hooks that are based on conversations that I've had with people. It's like yeah. where somebody has said something. It's like, oh man, you want to know what if I put that with that? I'd be like, hey, hold on, I'll be back. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's just that, that's just part of the creative license. So it's like I heard his songwriting genius in here as yeah, well. He's, he's an exceptional songwriter. Now. Now, Nas, though, is like otherworldly, man. Like, this is the first time I had paid attention to. I mean, I'd listened to Nas before, obviously, and listened to Illmatic before, but mm -hmm. like, listened to how densely interwoven the lyrics are. And it's one of those things, like they say about great artists, great movies, great songs, great things that you see something or hear something different every time mm -hmm. even if you listen to it 600 700 800 thousand times like you're I, I not and obviously i've not listened to the song nearly as much as you have but it it i hear something different in it or i recognize something different every time i hear it and he's just like one of the most extraordinary poets i've ever ever heard um Poetically speaking, uh, I think he is hip hop's shining artist. Poetically, mm -hmm. I mean, I, on a, according to hip hop, and Mike and I do reference him as the greatest MC of right. all time. We do feel like he is the greatest MC <clears throat> of all time. But just on a poetic level, let's take the MC out of it. Well, he's our for he's our foremost poet. Uh, that title is probably in modern day time reserved for Kendrick Lamar mm -hmm. as a songwriter and a poet in hip hop terms. But I don't think hip hop has ever seen somebody as poetically inclined as Nas, just about the fact that he knows how to make the dreary sound beautiful. Yeah. 
it is hard to do in hip hop. What you hear in hip hop when the pain is being expressed is the pain. Yeah. Like, you know, Ice Cube and Scarface and Chuck B are pissed off. Yeah. Tupac. You hear that. Like anybody who's ne- even if you've never heard the things, you can hear like two bars and you can hear just hear it in their voice. Pissed off. Right. You can hear despair emotionally in other artists like Ghostface when he's talking about his home mm-hmm. situation. All that I got is you. You get yep. what I'm saying? Yep. To the point that it makes you want to cry. You know? Mm-hmm. Nas doesn't do that. You'll get done listening to a Nas song and it'll actually make you almost feel proud that you're from the projects. That's, that's definitely the feeling I got from I'm, I'm not from the projects, obviously, and I don't have that lived experience, but like that's the feel that I got. It's from the this. weirdest feeling. It's like he knows how to. <clears throat> the beautiful thing about Illmatic, the beautiful thing about the world is yours, the beautiful thing about Nas and that album is that it's a kid talking about the Queensbridge projects. Mm-hmm. But poetically, because of how he expresses these themes and all the themes on the album are timeless, this is probably the most timeless theme yeah. next to Life's a Bitch. Yeah. He expresses it in such a way that you're almost hopeful. You're proud of where you're from. You understand what he's going through, and he actually makes you think that it's going to be okay without him ever telling you that it's going to be okay. He actually does quite the opposite on the song. He literally says on the third Mm -hmm. verse, I need a new nigga for this black cloud to follow. Wow. Yeah. That's one that I didn't catch in any of the dozens of times I've listened to. A new nigga for this black cloud to follow. Wow. It's too dark to see tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Wow. He said that on the third verse. So this is so this is bleak circumstances, mm-hmm. but it's being expressed in a way that's hopeful. And so let's express where it's coming from. So Nas is growing up in an era where he's a young man when Scarface comes out. Right. Okay. Okay. Scarface is big in hip hop culture because he represents what? Rags to riches. See, okay. people always look at the drug dealing. They look at the violence and they think that's why he is ingratiated in the hip-hop community with that movie. No, it's watching this dude who was an immigrant, who came from nothing, that literally ended up being like, you know, his own boss. Like, right. he was lit- you know? Mm-hmm. He was literally in what, Montego Bay? I believe in the movie it is. I think so, yeah. yeah. It was my- greater Miami-ish. Literally went, from, literally went from being a prisoner and like, you know, and essentially an intermittent camp and uh, the being a boss. Now, how he went through it, you know, was drugs and murder, of course, but yeah. the theme of that was really the come up and the come yeah. up of it and the theme of it was what? The world is yours. He had a statue in the middle of his house that he died on and it was a globe and across the globe it says what? The world is yours. The world is yours. That became a hip hop ethos. So that's not a Nas ethos. Because mm-hmm. here's the thing. He's not the first one to touch the ethos. First of all, Nas's favorite rapper from his time is Slick Rick. Okay. Slick that Rick tracks. Had, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I tell people, it's like, well, there's only been one document picture of, a, of another rapper hanging in Nas's house, and that's Slick Rick. We know that there's a painting of Slick Rick hanging in Nas's house. He's a big Slick Rick fan. He's uh, used Slick Rick's cadence, flow. He's a big Slick Rick fan. Mm-hmm. One of Slick Rick's best songs off his album, The Greatest Adventures of Slick Rick, is called Hey Young World. Here's how the hook goes. Hey young world, the world is yours. Hey young world, oh. the world is yours. 
Young world, young world, the world is yours. Oh, See? wow. Right. I told you you teach me a lot of stuff about this today. It's That's great. actually probably my favorite Slick Rick song. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now you can see why it's yeah. coming from the place. It's... Nas is another one of Nas's favorite rappers is from Houston, Scarface. Mm-hmm. Scarface took his name from the yeah sure, right. You know what Scarface's second album is called? No, but you're about to tell me. Right. Yeah. So Nas is doing the world is yours as a 16, 17 year old in 1993, 94, or I think 17, 18 year old. Mm-hmm. Well, he's pulling it from a place of the people he's inspired by. He loves Scarface. He loves Slick Rick. So he's given his interpretation of it. And there's so many pieces of hip hop to this song. So I want to explain how this song starts off. <clears throat> Nas as an MC on Illmatic is the meeting of Rockem and Cool G Rap. And we've talked about Rockem. Fuji rap is literally probably the best, lyrically the best gangster rapper to ever come out of the East Coast. He okay. too is from Queens. He's from Corona, Queens, as a matter of fact. Okay. <clears throat> Rock M and Cool G rap are different type of dudes. Rock M is knowledgeable and poetic. Okay. But he's still got a street sense to him. Mm-hmm. G rap's a dealer. He's a street dude. Talking street stuff all the time. Okay. Nas is growing up in Queensbridge. Okay. Right. Now listen, the guy that put him on, Large Professor, the producer that put him on, mm-hmm. Large Professor, literally is doing Cool G Raps, second album, I think, Wanted Dead or Alive, and Rakim's third album, Let the Rhythm Hit Him, at the same time. Oh, wow. In Queensbridge. A young Nas at 12, 13 years old is sneaking into the back end of these sections. He might have been a little older than that. So Cool G Rap and Rakim are the peak along with KRS-One and seeing the lyrics are for the previous era. Nas is getting an up-close view of these guys. He's in their creative process and like how they're putting stuff together. Wanted Dead or Alive is Cool G Rap's best album. And if you want to talk lyrically from beginning to end, you mm-hmm. could argue that Lift the Rhythm Hit Him might be Rakim's best lyrical performance from beginning to end, although he peaked more on Follow the Leader. Okay. Nas is because of where he's geographically located, because Cool mm-hmm. G Rap is from Corona, Queens, and Eric B of Eric B and Rakim, mm-hmm. I believe, is from similar area. Marley Marl, who, you know, these guys are, are all around Queens and Queensbridge. So a young Nas is getting to go into the studio and listen to literally the two best lyricists who ever lived put wow. down some seminal work. So his poetic, like he's already gifted, mm-hmm. but he literally got to watch the two best lyricists do it. Yeah, that's super cool. I didn't know that. That's an awesome story. Right. That, that's why it's like, well, you need to understand he's such a part of hip hop culture, even with the little nuances and stories like that. No, no, no. Like this is the kid that literally he wants to rhyme so bad. He's going in after Cool G Rap and Rock Kim session because he wants to hear what they're doing because he's measuring right. himself up. Sure. Against them. Right. And that's what that so, first verse is, right? Like, so, right. So the first verse is straight out of Rock Kim and Cool G Rap's book. And here's how I'm going to explain it. He says, I sip the Don P watching Gandhi till I'm charged in. Well, that's both of them. I sip the Don P. Well, that's that fly gangster talk that cool mm-hmm. G rap. Yeah. Watching Gandhi. Well, that's the rock him part. So you immediately, You're if you know the it. story, can see the fusion of the styles right there on the first bar. I sip the Don P watching Gandhi till I'm charged in. 
And then you hear Nas writing in my book of rhymes, all the words past the margin, as in, I'm really, really yeah. sick of shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he's letting you know. So that's what I mean about poetically. His stuff is like a hip hop class. If you know hip hop, you can hear the rock him and the cool G rap in the first bar. Then you hear Nas on the second bar. And from there, it just it just unravels from there. And so my question to you is like, which way do you want to pick and point at? You know, because he's he does something as a storyteller that I think only he, he and Ghostface do it the best. They do a detail yeah. in a that you can relate to because you do it yourself. You know? Mm-hmm. But the thing it's is... It's that... about the on the street. Suede Tim's on my feet make my mm-hmm. cipher complete. It's like, no, okay, so now I'm getting the visual. He's stepping out of his building. His Tim's are on. It's a muddy day in New York. <laughs> you know? He's setting the scene for you with a little nuance. Just him... And, and this is what I mean about poetically. Well, he doesn't say spit. He says what? Mm, yeah. That's that's the writer coming out. That's the poetic yeah. nature of it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut no, you. No, no, no. This is I want you. I'll, I love it when you like quote the lyrics. It makes me happy. Um, and I think it's one of the the best parts of the show. Um, but one of the, we've talked about this with a couple other hip hop artists too. That I love when they illustrate a scene so well that somebody like me who has none of these personal experiences um, and very little context for them other than the conversations that I've had um, can still not experience them, but like can, can like experience them like you're reading a book or experience them. Like you, you understand, um, even though I've never had that experience, I can still recognize like what he's talking about. Right. So so let, let's just start unpacking the verse, mm-hmm. the first verse. So we, we got the I sip the Don P watching right. Gandhi. I'm charging. I'm pulling it up because it's kind of important that we break yeah. down kind of sure. line line, some of the stuff that's going on. Yeah. So Rakim has a song called Microphone Theme. Mm-hmm. Okay. Rakim was the first person that really made it. He made MCing cool. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like he made the love of MCing cool and popular. And so when he's talking about to hold the mic, I'm throbbing, I'm fiending. Get it? Like Rakim, the microphone fiend, to hold yep. the mic, throbbing. Well, I can't say I'm the microphone fiend because I'm not Rakim, but to hold right. the mic, throbbing. And then he says it. And listen to what he says. Mechanical movements, understandable smooth shit that murderers move with. Mm-hmm. That's cool G rap coming back again. You see how you can see stylistically. I do, yeah. This is Nas, but I want you to see where he's getting his style from. Understandable smooth shit that murderers move with. Well, he poetically is more inclined than anybody that's coming before him. He's living in the most notorious housing projects. When he's yep. saying understandable smooth shit that murderers move with, he's literally telling you, no, no, no. I live in the toughest projects and everybody loves my shit. Yep. I got that understandable smooth shit that murderers move with, like my style is this type of style that even the killers in my neighborhood like my style. Like he's letting you know how fly his style is. That's one of those ethos that come with hip hop. Okay. Yeah. Nas is the best at telling you how great he is without saying that he's great. This is the first example of it actually. Oh, cool. Yeah. This is the first example on record of him telling you how fly he is without him telling you that he's fly. He doesn't really do it. He mm-hmm. just tells you to hold the mic. I'm throbbing mechanical movements, understandable smooth shit that murderers move with. He's letting you know. Uh-huh. 
the the amount of roms in that line and the right. way it's, 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 it's insane it's crazy so listen to what he say and this is why i mean the song is important well he says the thief's thing mm-hmm. play me at night they won't act right all right first of all he ends up making a song called the thief's thing mm-hmm. so he he continues the legend of this song even with his own song but listen to what he's saying play me at night they won't act right the fiend of hip hop has got me stuck like a crack pipe. Remember what I just said about Rakim and the microphone? There's the fiend, thing? yeah. Now he's letting it out. How is he contextualizing it though? With, about he's writing, contextual- yeah. Right, but he's contextualizing it to the things that he's seen at night in his projects: thieves, murderers, crackheads. Mm-hmm. This is all the first five, six bars. So we got a guy. You know he loves to write. You know everybody on the block likes his style. You know he's out with the worst of the worst of the people at times, but it seems like he's only concerned with rhyming. And then he says, the mind activation, react like I'm facing, time like Pappy Mason. Okay, now he's going local. Pappy Mason, and this is something that I didn't find out till later, Pappy Mason's a notorious former drug dealer that used to be part of Supreme Team. Okay. They were like the biggest uh, drug organization that came out of Queens when Nas was a kid. Okay. Happy Mason was the hitman for the crew. Okay. So when he's talking about facing time, like Happy Mason, right? Well, he had a, a whole serious bunch. time. Yeah, he didn't just have the drug charges; he had all the murder charges too. Yeah. That's that hood legend stuff. That's so people in Queens when they're hearing the 17, 18 year old talk about, they, they would have known who he was talking about, and they would have known like the references and understood. So, so he's striking a chord with his community and his neighborhood with all of this. That's what I mean about this is wonderfully local, but everybody's neighborhood kind of works like this. It's like, well, in every project, there's a Pappy Mason. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. In every hood, there's a guy like Nas that everybody loves to hear rhyme that we call the, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I've been that guy a time or two. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And so, and then we go to the visual aid. See, now that he's contextualized everything for you, he lets you know who he is where he's coming from, and that he's the new version of the microphone theme, much like Rakim, okay? Mm-hmm. And then he gives you the visual aid. Wipe the sweat off my dome. Spit the phlegm on the street. I love the fact that he uses phlegm. He's showing his talent as a writer. He is. Yeah. Suede Tim's on my feet makes my cipher complete, as in this is what makes me feel good. I have a friend. Matter of fact, well, he's not a friend anymore. He did some very unfortunate things. You remember Deron Cuthbertson? Yeah. He was a Piedmont guy. Yeah. Yeah. Deron did some very, very heinous things. But once upon a time, Deron said something that I thought really struck a chord with me as a black man because most black men feel this way. As a black man, there's nothing better when you start off your day and you can get a fresh haircut and a fresh pair of shoes on your feet. There's something about it as a black man that makes you feel good. So when Nas is talking about his cypher being complete after he's put his Tim's on and wiped the sweat off, well, there's something that, about that as a black man that you relate to, especially around that time, because Tim's were a big thing. Like he could have said Air Force Ones or Jordans, but it's the scene that he's setting of a black man stepping out into the world. Well, we don't like stepping out into the world without fly kicks. Tim's were the fly boots. So he's speaking yeah. for like every black man coming out of New York in the sense at the time with just that visual aid, okay, you know, because yeah. Yeah, sure. Nas, Nas was the guy with the fresh haircut mm-hmm. and the fresh Tims and the fresh yeah. look. And he's giving you the visual aid of that on his second single. Cause this is, 
actually the second single on Illmatic. Okay. He said, whether cruising in a, a, a skis cab or Montero Jeep, I can't call it. The beats make me fall asleep. See, he's going back to this microphone theme thing. Mm. See how he keeps bringing back? All this dreary stuff's going on. I'm a writer. I'm an MC and a great one. This, this is, is how I'm transcending all of this, right? This is how this I'm is how getting I'm, out. This is how I am yeah, processing it, too. This is how I'm processing it. And this is how he said, I keep falling, but never falling 60 feet. Deep. Yep. So he's letting you know, no, 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 it's bad. But I'm still here. But it ain't going to kill me. And I'm fighting. It's not going to kill me. I keep falling, but never falling six feet deep. And then he says, you know, the most the famous line. Yeah. I'm out for presidents to represent me. Say what? I'm out for presidents to represent me. Think about it. This is a black kid coming from the most, most notorious yep. project. I wrote, I wrote something down about this. So I want to hear what you have to right. say. I'm, well, he's saying I'm out for presidents to represent me. Imagine a 17-year-old black man coming out of Queensbridge Projects, like saying that seriously. That's why you hear the say, say what? what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm out for presidents to represent me. No, no, no. Run that back again. Say what? And then he clarifies it on the third one. I'm out for dead presidents to represent me. And it's like, oh, yep. revelation. And then the hook comes in in, in your soul. Yeah. It's you're, you're, everybody's it's, done at that point. Yeah. Right. You're done at that point because yeah. as soon as he says I'm out for dead presidents, where you hear whose world is this? The mm-hmm. world is yours. And you're like, oh, the world is yours. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. You're like, uh, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm there. I'm there. I'm there. Yeah. I'm there with you. He, he got you and it's over. And, and, yeah. and the first verse is the simple verse. Like mm-hmm. the MC, oh, yeah. the MC is on the second and on the third verse. That's what I mean. The first verse is what's striking is because it's like, this is his idea of a simple, stupid buy-in, Andrew. That's how and, and that's And that's like so fucking high level man his, like, his, yeah his think about this this was his buy-in to get people to sing along with him you know how poetically inclined he is that this is his buy-in yeah, and so where he was always different from biggie and Pac and jay they're not nuanced as writers like this like no. Pac is a deep of a writer but Pac is not gonna use words like phlegm mind activation react like I'm, he's not gonna use those alliterations no. like that you know and so yeah. this guy is special in terms of how he disseminates information and expresses it to you that understandable smooth shit that murderers move with it's like nobody had ever talked like that before but when you hear him rhyme it's like no 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 that is you like he's Mm -hmm. kind of called he's kind of calling his own shot on the first verse like this is who i am and it's like well damn he is that guy you know because because this would have he would have written it before he was like recognized widely before he became this guy but what i'm trying to say is that he was kind of all this, always this guy around the neighborhood, even before. Like other MCs have talked about him and be like, "No, no, no, we knew that he." This was, was going to be the guy. Other guys have come back and talked about it. Now you know it's like, "No, no, no, everybody knew." Like, yeah. and so he's speaking to that. You know, mm-hmm. he speaks to it on the album. Some, you know, about he's considered to be a child prodigy. You know, he's 19. Yeah, he, was, he was really young when he did this. Well, he's 19 when this album is coming out, but he was only 16, 17, 18 when he wrote this stuff. So, you know, he's yeah. in high school or well, he's a 10th grade dropout. So he's not even in high school. So yeah. that's that's the buy in of the song. You know, it's funny. I um, I don't listen to this song that much anymore. Mm-hmm. And so going back and going through the lyrics of it again, you know, this is, I mean, you know this as well as anybody because you've known me half my life. This is my theme song. Yep. 
like like my number one theme song. And it's funny. I only play it now when I need to hear it. And so it's kind of funny going through the breakdown of it because it's like, it's even reminding me going back through the lyrics of why I loved it so much. It's because I related to it so much. I related to his ethos. You know, mm -hmm. there was a lot of kids like he and I that were just really starving for an opportunity to get out to express who we really were. And that's what you really hear on this record. And I think everybody takes a piece of this record that loves it in that manner, you mm -hmm. know? Um, the first thing that I wrote about this song is that I can't, is that basically what you just said. I can't imagine how captivating the song was for a kid in 1994, hearing like desperation, sweat, intensity attached to like the actual writing process coming from another teenager. Like I can't, because I, I can't have your lived experience, but like I know you well enough to know how that would connect with yeah. The, the kid that heard it for the first time. Yes, this connects this connects with that 13-year-old kid to the point that it's like the 40-year-old, like, like <clears throat> you know, it's funny. Some of the songs that help you get through your childhood trauma mm -hmm. remind you of your childhood trauma yeah. when you become an adult. Yeah. And so, so it's harder it, to listen to then. Yeah. That's why I don't listen to it as much because, well, for what my life was and for what I was going through, oh, I needed this song to get me through, you yeah. know? Like when you hear artists, when you hear um, artists talk about like DMX was always good for this. He's like, you know, so many people talk to me about how like this song got them. No, this is one of those records where it's like, no, no, no. This got me through some stuff, you know, yeah. and I'm not going through that stuff anymore. Right. But every time I listen to it, it reminds me of the circumstances and the odds that I beat. It yeah. was part of my motivation to beat it. It was the reminder. This is what I played every time I felt like I couldn't win. You know, every time I felt like I was falling, but not falling six feet deep. Yep. This yep. is what I played. And so, you know, it's beautiful when you have records like this that connect with people on a traumatic level, but give them a positive outlook. I bring up yeah. DMX because he actually was probably the best since Tupac at that. Mm -hmm. It's like he would be talking about a dark and a dense circumstance but through him expressing it, you knew that you weren't alone and you didn't feel so alone and so isolated and you knew it was going to be okay. So on a personal level, that's what this record is for me. It got me through a lot. But it's that, also that's what the boxer does too. Like, I mean, it, that song didn't do it particularly for me, but I mean, there are lots of songs that did, which we'll talk about later, but it is another one of those. Um, I'm just a poor boy that my story is seldom told. And like, I've squandered my resistance in a pocket full. Like it's, it is poetic, but it is also like I'm a poor kid wandering the streets of New York. Like it's um, and the New York part doesn't connect necessarily with everybody, but the like everybody knows what it feels like to be feel alone and like that you're I can only imagine because I didn't grow up there, but the, how being in New York would intensify that feeling because there's always people there, but still feeling alone as you're moving through that. Like, and, and that's kind of what he's expressing. Nas is expressing too. I mean, you have that kind of ethos in both of them. I was about to say both of these songs do a good job of making you only see one thing in one person in what you know is a crowded sphere. Yeah. Not even the area that they're in, just the way that they're speaking. It's like, 
it's almost like they have the ability with their songwriting to give you tunnel vision, their tunnel right. vision. Both of right. these records do that. And, and 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 the song, I mean, the boxers talking about wandering on Seventh Avenue, which is which is not a um, it is a densely populated area. <laughs> right. Right. Um, it's not. It's not like where he grew up or whatever. It's like, like we're talking about Manhattan now. Um, so, yeah. I mean, they're like. I mean, I, I've I've referenced this before. The aiming guns and all my baby pictures. I think that's yeah. like the mo- one of the most perfect lines to ever be written in any song ever. Like, like of if you're trying to encapsulate somebody's struggle and their life and like the entirety of their life and how difficult it was that that's even like half a bar really like it's it's that those like what five words six words seven or something like that Mm -hmm. capture that just like that so he's so he's going back and forth between giving you his ethos and explaining what's going on in the neighborhood right you know and so if you go right after that he's like aiming guns and all my baby pictures but let's go to the next bar because i think the most important bar that's explaining some of his mm-hmm. despair is actually the next bar which goes beef with housing police release scriptures that's maybe hitler's mm-hmm. whoa so listen to what he's saying yeah i didn't catch that i caught it when you just said it but like right beef with housing police release scriptures that's maybe Hitler's. He's literally saying, these aren't police that are running around my neighborhood giving us problems. These guys are moving with the etiquette of the Nazis. Mm-hmm. They're not police. They're like they're Gestapo. Work. Yeah. He's saying their scriptures has in their code. Yeah, it is is Mein Kampf. Yeah. Yeah. It's Mein Kampf. Their scriptures are Mein Kampf. That's what I mean. It's like, man, this is a 17, 18 year old kid explaining the beef. And he's literally saying beef with housing police. He's mm-hmm. explaining the beef with the housing police in one it's like bar. It's specific like, ones, too. This is not, and he's, I mean, we're, this is not the time necessarily to talk about the community's relationship with police generally. But, but like, he, he is differentiating for the purposes of this song. We're just talking about this small group. Right. Of people well well let's also to explain what i mean about some of the despair well he's talking about the housing police he's mm-hmm. in the largest housing projects right. in america so some of the despair he's letting you know that he's really not going past these blocks he's expressing that beef with housing police as in like i'm really not seeing past these blocks really like right. this is what's going on on these four five six blocks right here you know and that's it that's and that's and it's, it's it's oh that's really cool because so like this, i mean the song is called the world is yours like the world the world the world but his world is it's just yeah it's six and, blocks yeah yeah and, and, and that that contrast is cool too because with the boxer because he's wandering like all over new york city no, like he's not wandering all over so listen to what he says right after that he says release scriptures this may be hitler's and then he goes, this is what I mean about how he flips it back. This is where this, this is how he keeps you and, and, and doesn't attach to the despair too much. Yet I'm the money, yet I'm the mild, money getting style, rolling foul, the versatile, honey sticking wild, golden child. 
that's another one of look at look how great I am kind of things. Like this is that's, uh, this is what you do in hip hop when you're proving yourself. See, he's still this isn't this isn't Nas that we're calling the greatest MC of all time. This is a 17, 18 year old is, kid trying to establish and so the world is yours is his ethos song. It ain't hard to tell and the world is yours. They're ethos records about who Nas, the person, mm-hmm. MC is and what borough and what what hood he's representing. Right. That's all the first two singles are. And so you get his whole steez mm-hmm. in these brief bars, but if you miss it, you, you won't catch it. So he's letting you know, I'm mild, as in I'm calm, I'm low key, but I'm getting to my money, right? Yeah. But I'm rolling foul. Like I'm doing things wrong to get to my money. You get mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I'm getting yeah. money, but I'm rolling foul up. I'm doing wrong things to get my money. But I'm versatile. As in, like, I got depth. I'm not your typical dude that's out here doing wrong. Right. I'm different. I'm different than these other dudes. I have other options. Says, well, he says, I'm the honey sticking wild, golden child. The ladies love me, and I'm the chosen one in this community. Like, I'm different. And that's what I mean. He's the best at telling you how great he is without you realizing it. Because all the yeah, other he slid guys, that one by me, for sure. Right. He sli- No, he slides all his I'm so great by you. That's part of what makes him so poetically inclined. No, no, no. You hear Jay-Z talk about how great he is. Yeah. You hear Biggie talk about how great he is. You hear Tupac talk about like, how like great he is. Even I, who didn't grow up in this community, like I can quote all three of the ones you just named of lines of them talking about how great they are. Like Even, right. even I can do that. And it's hard right. to do that with Nas because right. when he does it, he does it like this. So this one, I mean, this is his ethos record. Mm-hmm. He's even showing you how he talks about himself because how he talks about himself on this record, well, that's how he baselined it for his whole career. He never talked about himself highly or too much. That's I mean, mild, hate me, right? Hate Me Now would probably be the most grandiose right. he ever got. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Which was literally talking about all the hate that he was getting for being successful, which yeah. goes back, hold on, which goes back to what is he saying on here? I'm the golden child. Right. People and, felt and nobody, that and nobody likes the golden child, like or in, right. the, in the wider community. Like you think somebody's putting right. him on or somebody has like right. given him the it, silver spoon and kind of helped him along yeah. or whatever. But no, the dude is so skilled. Like, well, no, well, no all time great MC has dealt with the conflicts that Nas has dealt with either. And so that whole golden child thing kind of stuck and held key to everybody because like and people coming know, after him, too. Yeah, people coming after him about that status, but even the way he's revered, like you got somebody like Ghostface Killer. Ghostface is many people's favorite MC and a top ten rapper all time by all estimations to most people. Mm-hmm. Ghost looks at Nas a certain way. It's like he was doing when him and Raekwon was doing their verses. He literally told Raekwon when they were talking about Nas, he was like, "Yo, he's like, it's like the nigga Nas was blessed by God or something." I told that nigga when I seen him, mm-hmm. like he has an aura like that. To the other great MCs, wow. has MC. This is part of the aura, though. Okay. This is part of how that aura was built. Was his ability to slide like this on record, so seamlessly from topic to subject matter. You know, this is this is how it happened. These other dudes, they're as good as him. They're not. They're not talking smooth like this. Like Tupac and Biggie don't aren't mm. fluid like this. Jay Z is as smooth like this, but Jay Z is not around yet. And Jay Z's talk is more big boy dope talk at the time. You get what I'm saying? Yep. Nobody's talking poetically like this guy. It's very rock him inspired, mm-hmm. but it's kind of cool. I can hear G that. Rhetoric. Yeah, it's rock him inspired, but cool G rap rhetoric. That's what I mean. It's the fusion. It's like, no, he's taking what the street guy is talking about, but he's talking about it poetically the way the poet is. He's and, where the and that's poet, so hard to do. Like, he's where the poet and the gangster meet in rap. 
Oh, okay, cool. That's, like, where that's, poet, that's a great encapsulation. This is where the po- yeah, this is where the poetic, this is where the gangster shit is like poetic. That's why he's considered to be the best. It's like the other guys that are kicking gangster shit, they're just kicking gangster shit. It's like mm-hmm. he's poetic with it. Pick the Mac up. Like on New York State of Mind, we talked, pick the Mac up. Toe Brothers back up. The Mac spit. Lev was hitting niggas one ran. I made him backflip. No, dude didn't talk like that if they were talking about shooting somebody before that. Right. It you, wasn't you, that detailed. It's so hard to do both. I mean, it's like we talked about in the Joni Mitchell episode. Like, it, yes, like somebody yeah. who has the voice and has the lyrical content. Like, he's like being able to talk about those subjects and do it in such a way that is so tightly poetic is i mean i've never tried to do it but i can imagine it's incredibly incredibly difficult right i mean I, obviously it's incredibly difficult because he's basically the only one to do it so or at least at that point was the only one to do it <clears throat> so like no, a line like flipping coke or pay, playing spit spades or strip poker like I, I, I want to go briefly to this because i want to point out like how many sounds in that one line are echoed mm-hmm. Um, there's so many. I mean, there, I mean, this you could say this for almost any line in the song, but um, you have the eyes, the it flipping, spit and strip, the eye sound. You have the P's flip, playing, spit, spade, strip, poker. All of those are P's. Um, you have the K. The actual rhyme is Coke and poker, right? And that's the mm-hmm. like the the whatever. No, um, actually, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. <clears throat> this is what I mean about what's great about him. You can break down the rhythmic. Uh, consonants and dissonance alliteration and metaphor of of one bar but it's tied to the previous bar because here's where it actually really starts because here's how it goes how you live in larger broker charge card or mediocre you're flipping cocoa playing spit spades or strip poker that's how he said it right it's like it happens so fast and he's saying so many things you're like hold on what you're like what like guys aren't rapping like this in 1994 exactly it's like like, guys aren't putting this much information listen to what he's saying because he's answering his own questions. That's what mm-hmm. I mean. This guy's gifted. He's put. He goes, "How you living? Large? A broker charge cards are mediocre. You're flipping coke or playing spit spades and strip poker with a question mark." He's saying yeah. like, "None of us are really living as fly as we think that we're living. Yeah. Although we claim that we're fly." And then the scratch comes in and goes, "It's yours." <laughs> yeah, he's it's, brilliant. It's, it's like, amazing. But, but I, I wanted to do I wanted to do a brief English teacher thing there because I want people to like understand no, people no, who no, are coming <laughs> at it not from um, the hip hop world to understand like how densely rhymed no, and like how many how many of these sounds he's putting together all at yeah. once in like five words or six words or whatever. Yes, it's, it's nuts. Yeah, consonants, assonance, and dissonance is going on in in all of it. It's happening like right here. And think about it. He's explaining a motif. And in these two bars, he creates a satire for it with a yep. question mark. Yeah, because he's making fun of them a little bit, too. Yeah, He's making fun of our community, thinking that we got it made than we don't, but he's not joking. Yeah. That's why I said it's more in satire form. It's like, it's not even in jest. He's literally saying it seriously. How you live in large broken charge cards are mediocre. You're flipping coke or playing spit spade the strip poker. He's like, that ain't how we're supposed to be living. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So he's speaking to the. Yeah, it's beautiful because then it goes, it's yours. (laughs) And you're like, oh, okay. And then he starts off the third verse. I'm the young city bandit. Hold myself down single handed. This this plays a lot like the boxer. The third verse Mm -hmm. plays a lot like the boxer's third verse. 
for murder raps, I kick my thoughts alone, get remanded, born alone, die alone. Yep. No crew to keep my crown or throne. I'm deep by sound alone. Cave inside a thousand miles from home. As in, in my mind, when I rap, I go places a thousand miles outside of these six blocks. Yeah, like the world is his, right? Miles. My style and my sound is so deep that when I go through the travels of my mind, it takes me out of these six blocks. It takes me a thousand miles from home. Yeah. So he's speaking to the despair right there. It's like in how the rap is helping him channel the despair. It's exactly. like, no, no, no. I get lost in my rap. What, what's he saying on the first verse? I keep falling, but never falling six feet deep. What's he doing when he's falling? He's listening to beats. How's he starting up the song? So the rhyme, music, rap is important to him. It's how he's escaping mm -hmm. the despair. It's exactly. his ticket out. He's rhyming about his ticket out. And yeah. he literally says, and he writes his ticket out with the song too. Like that, it's, this it's is the song that wrote the ticket out. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, no, no, no. He wrote his ticket out by talking about writing his ticket out on yeah. this song. Because this was his first song of note. Because it ain't hard to tell as a hip hop classic. Yeah. But girls weren't singing the hook to it ain't hard to tell because they didn't have one. It's just a loop. Right. Girls who didn't know Nas were singing the world is yours because of the hook. It's catchy. So yeah, it this is. was right. It is. So so he literally kind of wrote himself out of the project on this record yeah and he, he's writing about because he's writing about getting out and right. he is i mean the song literally shows people that his argument is true he proved he uses the song to prove that his argument mm -hmm. is correct which is right. when he's like talking mind-bendingly amazing right listen to what he's saying i'm out for dead presidents to represent me. he's letting you know where well, they're not representing me yet but i'm out for them to represent they're going they're going to be though they're going to be representing me real soon like, that's what I mean. This song is his mm -hmm. ethos song, and it really is speaking to the project. But it's also like low key. He's telling you how to get out. Because it's like, he keeps on telling you, well, I'm invested in something that's getting me out. What are you invested in that's going to get you yeah. out? The world yeah. is yours. Right. Like, you it, know? It, it, it's, it's like the world can be yours. It's not like, it's, it's like, it, and, and it's one of those things, like, if, if I can do this, then it's available like as, right. as a kid from Queensbridge, right? If I, if I can do this, then it's available to everybody. Right. Um, well, but, but I'm also sitting in my room writing past the margins on my note. Like it's, so you, you got, you got to put the work in too. Right. That's what he's talking you gotta about. You got to care about it that much. Right. He's like, I'm writing past the margin. I'm listening to beats till I'm falling asleep. I get so lost in my style that I feel like I'm a thousand miles from home when I write. Yep. He's lost in his style to the point that it's like, well, shit. That's why everybody's probably calling him the golden child and saying that he's going to get out. This guy's apparently doing more work and is more yep. invested in this than other people. Exactly. And so, exactly. But, but but even though all this is going on, but listen to what he says. I need a new nigga for this black cloud to follow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because while it's over me, it's too dark to see tomorrow. Trying to maintain, I flip, fill the clip to the tip. Picture in my peeps. Now the income make my heartbeat skip. Hmm. It's heavy. Yeah. And I'm amped up. He listen what he, he keeps going and I'm amped up. They locked the champ up. He's talking about Mike Tyson. That's how you know that this song got written in like 1991-92. Even wow. though you're only hearing it in 94. So you're hearing it when he's 19 
he wrote it when he was 17, and the evidence is right here when he says they locked the champ up. Mike Tyson got locked up in 92. That's who he's talking about. Because to everybody up in New York, Mike Tyson's the champ. You get what I'm saying? Even, I mean, I'm down in Atlanta. It's Holyfield for us. But early 90s, when he's saying they locked the champ up, that's Mike. Mike got locked up in 92. We're here in Illmatic in 94. So he actually wrote this song when he was 17. Because Illmatic, he's 19 or 94. You know? And so, and listen to what he says. Even my brain's in handcuffs, headed for Indiana, stabbing women like the Phantom. He's actually unraveling on the third verse. The black cloud's too dark. I feel the clip to the tip. My brain feels trapped. I'm stabbing women like the Phantom. I'm headed to Indiana. And then he snaps back into reality. The crew is lamping, Big Willie style. Big Willie style. This is the first time I had heard Big Willie style get used. Mm -hmm. That was a term that was used in the early 90s to talk about somebody who had money, who had made it on the block. Oh, he's a big Willie. He's got money. Like when Jay came into the game, Jay came in Big Willie style. Like Jay came in with money. Jay was a big Willie in the game. Okay. So that used to be a phraseology. Then he goes back to his ethos again. Check the chip to smile. As in, he's letting you know, I'm not a big Willie yet, but check my chip to smile. Plus my profile's wild. He's submitting his resume to you. Mm-hmm. Slash through the flock wolves, burning dollars to light my stove. Wow. So he's letting you know it's like I'm not Biggie Willie style yet. I'm still using bur- dollars to burn to light my stove. Like the, the gas might go out, you know? Mm-hmm. Or walk the blocks with the bop, checking games, plus the games people play, bust the problems of the world today. And that's how the song ends. So he's letting you know. So he goes through all those travels. The third verse is where he's taking you in his mind. But at the end of the verse, he drops you back. He's back. The block, yeah. Bopping his head where he started the verse, spitting the phlegm out on the concrete. He's, you get what I'm saying? He starts he's walked off, around and come back. Well, well, here's really what happened. If you really want an actual visual aid of it, he came out of his building, hmm. hopped in the car with his man, started listening to beats, and he fell asleep at the end of the first verse. Andrew, he doesn't wake up until the last four bars of the third verse. Wow. The second verse and the third verse is him asleep. That's why he's talking about his style and the way that he is. On the third verse, mm-hmm. where he goes, hold on, where does he go? Yeah, I'm deep by sound alone, caved inside a thousand miles from home. It's okay, like, he's yeah. In the, yeah. So he's like literally telling you, it's like I'm falling asleep at the first verse and the second and third verses are literally like he's in a trance or in a sleep and he pops back out of the trance mm-hmm. when he yeah. pops back on the block, when he says, when he goes headed for Indiana, stabbing women like the Phantom, that's where the like dream slash nightmare ends, and he pops mm-hmm. back in Queensbridge. The crew is lamping Big Willie style. It's a whole new scene now. He's back on yep. the back on the block again. So it's like he literally took you around the world in his mind, and then puts you back on the block where he started. Oh wow! So he's, he's he he is the amount of skill that it takes to he's doing a lot, not, not just he's doing a lot. Tell you like how his mind works, but also like put you in his mind and take you with him as mm-hmm. it go- like, it's that's. Yeah. Most like, people that miss that part of the song. Yeah. He's picking you up and putting you in the car with him while he's asleep, taking you on a journey through his mind and then dropping you back off when he wakes back up. Cause the first verse, I keep falling, but never falling six feet deep. Fall asleep. Right. Yeah. And he, and he references that on the first record on Elmatic. 
It drops deep like it does in my breath. I never sleep. The sleep mm -hmm. is the cousin of, of death. death. Yeah. It all connects with this dude on this album. And this is the song that connected with the listeners. Yeah. It's yeah. such a great song, man. It is. Yeah. It's one of the best rap songs ever. Yeah. It's, it is, I mean, it's one that I'd heard before, but it was not one that I'd paid this close attention to until this. And it's, it's, and it's awesome to get to talk through it with somebody who it meant that much to means that much to like it's um, and somebody who like truly like, I mean, there, there's songs that we can all talk about both from, from either side of the spectrum that we like listening to or whatever. And then there's songs that like, like hit you. Right. Like, and, and this is one of those songs for you. And, and I had yeah. known that it was one of the songs for you. And so it's, it's really cool to get to experience that and to walk through your mind with it, so to speak. Well, you know, it's a beautiful record. It's one of those songs that made me want to MC. It's one of those songs that got, it's so many, it's so many things to me. It's like, it made me want to rap. It got me through hard times. I still love the melody to this day. I'm still mad that Pete Rock and Nas never worked together again, because this was their mm -hmm. only collaboration. It's one of the best producer rap yeah. collab you'll find like period point blank in the history of rap it's a wonderful moment of what i like to call pure hip-hop and when i mean pure hip-hop i mean the beat mm -hmm. is enough the guy behind the mic is enough and you don't need more than what they provide right the producer and the mc provide you with enough that you don't need anything more. And so I don't mean pure hip hop because it's New York. I don't mean pure hip hop because it's Nas. It's like, no, when a producer and an MC execute the way that they're supposed to on a track without all the, I don't mean, all the yeah, all the, all the, all the extras, all the accessories. Right. Just the beat is infectious. The hook is infectious. The rhymes are brilliant. Well, there you go. You know, it can be that too. It doesn't have to be this big glossed up thing all the time. And so it's just really a beautiful record. Um, and uh, lyrically speaking, you don't get songs like this anymore out of singles from artists. Yeah, I, I haven't heard one like this in a long time. Think about like, when's the last time you heard a reps? Because I'll even say this for him. He doesn't make singles this lyrical anymore. I don't think he can. And maybe this isn't well, He's not 17 anymore, right? <laughs> right. He's not the 17 prodigy that's, you know, stuck in the project, you know? Mm -hmm. But... Yeah. It does give you, it does remind you of a time when like, well, no, it's like, think about this. Think about how brilliant he is on this record. He's actually trying to prove himself to people on this record. Right. So many He's people. Calling a shot. Right. Well, I mean, I just wish people that are less talented than him would put the same effort towards <laughs> there. You know what I mean? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. But, but, the, but the, the two pieces go together, right? Like he, he I mean, he was gifted. I mean, obviously, but. Uh, but also part of it is he is that gifted because he put that much effort into it. Like yes. it's the, the two, the two things work together. I mean, he yes. was gifted obviously, but um, in, in the, in the way that like, like I could practice shooting a basketball, like 10 hours a day for the next 10 years and never be Steph Curry. Like, like, or, right. I, or I, or I could never win a hundred meter dash at the Olympics, no matter how hard I trained. Like I just don't have that, but but okay so, so actually he, yeah well actually i think steph is a good comparison because well Nas's dad is a jazz musician right steph's dad is one of the best shooters of all time his yeah. damn self so both of these guys respectively if they craft already come from good stock 
Yeah. So, but so, they they have the, both the genetics, but they also grew up around the the right. Like Dell so, Dell would have shown stuff like this is what you have to do to be great. Like he would correct. and and Clay Thompson's dad too. I mean, like all of them would have. Right. So 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 let's go to so, so let's go to Nas right quick. Well, he's the son of a jazz musician. Mm -hmm. Well, because of where he was geographically located by chance, he literally got to watch the two best lyricists of right. all time. Or two of the three, if you want to put KRS right there. But you got to understand, in 1990, 1991, he got to watch two of the three best lyricists right. ever right. up close. And nobody and gets to do that. On top of the fact that he already is the son of a jazz musician. On right. top of the fact that he's already talented. So that's where it's comparable to Steph. It's like, no, no, no. He worked, but it's like, look at the setup for success. It's like, no, right. no, no. Got exactly. to stop right place right time for good fundamental teaching and then did the work because yeah. here's the thing steph i mean if you remember this steph curry did not come into the nba's greatest shooter of all time he was a great shooter at davidson yeah he was but he wasn't but like he wasn't like that he wasn't like bending well, defenses and well, hitting we weren't footers. Conversation about him being the greatest shooter of all time it's about year number five or six really right and that's because he had started doing things because he did what the work and so it's like mm -hmm. well you can have the gene you can be in the right place at right time, but you still got to do the work to be the greatest. And so like this guy has done the work, you know, yeah, exactly. and the evidence of the work was early on. So, And Simon and Garfunkel works kind of the same way. Like you have, I mean, at, at its root, like two guys harmonizing and a guitar, right? Like, so it's, that's like the producer and the MC being <coughs> like all you need to have a great song. So you just have right. one guy or the guitar, or two guys. And like, it's, it's, it's the, the best songs in rock and roll and the best songs in folk music and that kind of thing work very much the same way as you're describing right. like that's, that's, that, that you can play it just with one guy or one girl sitting there on the piano or on the guitar or whatever and singing and that is all that you need yeah so, so. no yeah some of the same stuff with Illmatic it's like Illmatic is not working with four different producers and each time he lines up with the producer it's like man it's like why don't you just do that <laughs> you know what I mean let's just do that it seems pretty simple as What's, we've discussed it's really not at all simple oh no 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 it's like the hardest thing ever but you know like it's as far as many people goes, use bells and whistles because they don't have the skills to well, I, well, I, well i'll tell you well, i'll tell you something that i've probably never shared with anybody else it's so much easier for me to be a regular writer than a hip-hop artist the the pool of words is exponentially larger mm -hmm. and the creative license is greater, as crazy as that seems. And I say the creative license, I say that in a writing sense, in terms okay. of like vernacular tone establishment. Like you have to play so many games when you're writing a hip hop song, people really do not understand. That's why I was bringing up the first line on The World Is Yours. It's like, no, even Nas is playing the game. I sip the Dom P. It's like, oh, even he has to play the game. Big yeah. Willie style. He has to. No, he's, he's kind of name checking, sort of. Yeah, like, right. He's name, even he's doing the name checking, the name drops. It's Nas. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's been yeah. Nas since he came out, but it's like, no, even he's played those games. And that's what I mean about like, it's so hard to write a rap song. It's like, you can write like something. And how about this? When you're doing hip hop, you can write something and it can be the best shit ever. And you'll record it. And people will be like, I didn't feel that or I didn't get that. And, but writing wise, it could be, yeah. it won't matter. And that's what I mean, because it's like, if you don't check certain boxes or do certain things, people will be like, yeah, well, I don't know. Like people used to tell me all the time, be like, oh, you're spending too much time trying to save the babies. Why don't you just make me dance a little sometime? 
And I'm like, oh, you know what? <laughs> but you deal with stuff like that in hip hop. Like, that's why yeah. I brought up, I, and I was meaning to say it, Rakim has a line on I Know You Got Soul where he goes, constant elevation causes expansion. I write my rhymes while I cool in my mansion. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like the buy-in again. Even the best are the ones that buy, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. I'm a deep brother. Got a I'm still I'm still winking at the the other stuff too. Like right. I got a mansion. Did you hear me talk about my mansion right quick though? I write my yeah. rhymes while I'm cool in my mansion though. Right. And so that's the thing about writing a hip hop song where it's like, well, if you miss some of that, you might miss people if you don't do that, you know? Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's beautiful stuff, man.